is all us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is L.A. Williams, the Blind Master, and this week on the Against All Odds radio show, we have the editor and chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, Mr. Jason Pfeiffer. Too many people out there, unfortunately, don't think that they deserve to be a business owner or a success. What do you say to those people? If you are unsure of what the world wants from you, start listening to the questions that people ask you. But Jason, I heard entrepreneurs are all stuck up. Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, and his business partner, Danny Garcia. I mean, I spent some time with them. They just couldn't be nicer. We just put Ryan Reynolds on the cover. And that guy, he said, if you have any additional questions, I'm weirdly available. He said, Ryan Reynolds is weirdly available. If you are less successful than Ryan Reynolds and you don't consider yourself weirdly available, then you are doing something wrong. (laughs) Don't miss the episode. in the place to be and the place to be is against all odds and I'm taking the mic. I got my co-host, I got my sidekick, L.A. Williams. He's on my left side and I'm on the right side. You know why? Because I'm animated today, man. I'm passionate about something, you know? I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an entrepreneur. I ain't a blood. I ain't a crip. I'm an entrepreneur. What does that mean? Is that I'm flagging. I'm waving that green flag, that money flag, because I believe in this country is that entrepreneurs have an advantage if you've got your own business you've got your own opportunity to build a legacy and man la williams i'm allowed you to talk now can't say something to the people say something. <laughs> i'm like did he mute my microphone what happened <laughs> anyway <laughs> i keep that power no no i mean you're absolutely right when it comes to uh who run the world they'd be like who run the world girls girl now who run the world are entrepreneurs right entrepreneurs. for me business-minded people uh, people who provide jobs, they, you know, they put, they they keep the daggum country rolling. It's, I mean, I, I believe it's the entire world, but I'm going to kind of stay out of everywhere else. I'm from America, right? And so I understand the capitalistic society. And yeah, We even it, have a secret handshake, I'm just saying right you now. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't be possible without entrepreneurs, without people who solve problems, without people who see a problem and they focus on whatever they need to do to go and solve it, and, and, and including hiring, training, the developing other people in order to assist them and that's really what employee employeeship is all about you're assisting that entrepreneur uh into achieving his or her dreams goals and dreams you Yo, as an entrepreneur i'm going to tell you right now i don't want to wait for the government to bail me out i want to be in charge of my own destiny just give me the opportunity and i'll do the rest i want to create opportunities for other people and that's what entrepreneur is about and man wait until you hear this week's guest la tell the people yeah so we got listen this is this guy is the editor and chief editor of entrepreneur magazine he's absolutely phenomenal he's going to talk about the number one thing that any entrepreneur needs to be prepared for if they're going to succeed it begins with a c and ends with a hange jason pfeiffer is going to be on against all odds when we get back 
Did you know that Car.com is a website to connect consumers like you, me, our parents, basically everybody to local car dealers? Car.com helps us find that perfect vehicle. From new vehicles to certified pre-owned, Car.com will help you find the best vehicle match. Car.com practically started the online car shopping experience. Peace of mind and finding your perfect vehicle, it's what they do. Car.com, we do the research, you do the driving. Get started getting that peace of mind today at Car.com. It's the Against All Eyes Radio Show. Against All Eyes Radio You should show. check out our website. Or find us on Facebook. Or Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. We even got a YouTube channel. <laughs> hey, first of all, let me thank everyone for tuning into our radio show every weekend. But if you're looking for more interactivity, make sure you download Clubhouse and follow Sean V. Bradley and the Blind Master. We're on every single weekday morning at 7 a.m. From nothing to everything. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Against All Eyes radio show. And as promised, I've got the champion of change himself, Mr. Jason Pfeiffer. What's going on, Jake? Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate you being on the show today, man. This is going to be some phenomenal stuff. So um, I, I kind of introduced you a little bit on the, um, the the introduction, obviously, of the show. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I want you to kind of just give people a little bit of your quick background. Just tell people who you are, uh, where you come from, all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Well, I so I'm the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and I do a whole bunch of things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, podcast making, uh, book writing, startup advising, and so on. But yeah. what I really anchor myself around, and the reason why I started using that phrase, champion of change, is because people were asking me, what are those when I first started, what are the qualities of a successful entrepreneur? People always wanted to know that. What right. are the qualities of a successful entrepreneur? Yep. And I, I, I had, I, I really, it, it, it made me step back and think, well, what is the pattern that mm-hmm. I'm seeing here? And the answer is that the pattern is adaptability. Yeah. The more that people can adapt and not just adapt, but be really excited and enthusiastic about it to mm-hmm. move before the change even reaches them to constantly be reconsidering the impossible. Those are the people who succeed over and over again. And once you start listening really closely to entrepreneurs who are extremely successful, you start to hear different versions of this over and over again. For example, Reed Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, likes to say that people should live in permanent beta Right. Mm-hmm. And never you're, you're a product and you're always in beta and you're never going to come out of beta. Constant reimagining of yourself. And I've heard so many different versions of that. I just keep writing them down and sticking them on my wall. I love it. But that to me became the mission right. was for people who cannot bring themselves or cannot wrap their heads around constant adaptation. I need to help them get there because that to me is the key to success. It's what I'm seeing. Yeah. 
You're absolutely right. One of my uh, million dollar earner uh, SNSDs, John Lennon, he says, um, you people, you got to be able to pivot on a dime. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hey, we thought we we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. And it's up. Oh, got to do it this way. And then keeping the excitement. So I like what you just said about that. So here's the thing, because this is the against all odds radio show. So yeah. basically we talk about, you know, folks who you know necessarily weren't supposed to succeed, but that they're doing it anyway. Right. So I know, you know, when it comes to being the ch- editor in chief entrepreneur, magazine you know, know. it's like it's a big Sounds title fancy, doesn't it <laughs> exactly so was this supposed to happen to you or did you like set out in life and say you know what this is going to be my game plan no certainly <laughs> not no i i mean look literally before i took the job at entrepreneur i had never picked up a copy of entrepreneur wow. uh this is not this was not the plan mm-hmm. this i'll be honest was a little like the plan but okay. i didn't know where it was going and i didn't know how to get there what i knew at the very very beginning which is to say I'm in high school, I'm in college, I'm starting to imagine what my career is. What I knew was that I was pretty good at writing. Okay. And so I thought, let me do something in writing. And at first I started out, I tried a bunch of things that I sucked at. <laughs> I was a bad screenwriter. I was a bad fiction writer, very bad at poetry. There's no money in poetry anyway, oh, so that's fine. And eventually I got a job at a, after graduation uh, college, I got a job at a tiny newspaper. I was a, a, I was a, a junior reporter. Mm-hmm. And the very first insight that I had into how the world really works and how careers are built came not from that job, but really from exiting that job. I hated that job. Mm-hmm. I didn't get anything out of it, I felt like. I mean, in retrospect, I learned a couple things, but I really didn't like it. I mean, if you've ever worked in a small town newspaper, you know that you're covering nothing, right? Like you're going <laughs> to zoning board appeals, zoning board of appeals meetings, trying to turn those into stories. There's Excitement, nothing right. there. And so I, after a year or so, I was like, well, where, what do I want to do? And I thought, well, I want to just write for the biggest publication I can. I want to be working at the top level. What is that? Where is it? I don't know, but I, I just want to do that. And then I realized, oh, no, nobody at any of the places I, I, I dream of working at, the New York Times, the Washington Post, none of those people are ever, ever picking up a copy of the Gardner News Central Massachusetts's (laughs) smallest newspaper, perhaps, and reading the story that I wrote about the local diner and saying, we got to get that kid in the newsroom, like bringing that kid up to the big leagues. It's never happening. Mm -hmm. And so I had to stop sitting around hoping that people would recognize me. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to them. So I quit that job. I quit that first job. I sat in my bedroom in central Massachusetts in this cheapo apartment next to a graveyard. And I just cold pitched and I came up with ideas and I put myself out there and I was rejected over and over and over again. But I learned a lot and eventually I landed some pieces and I built some connections and I started growing from there. I've, I've quit other jobs. I have constantly been juggling a full-time job and a million different side hustles. And that's because one of the foundational things that I learned was go to them, never wait for them to come to you, go to them. So when you ask, what was the plan? I don't know, man. The plan was I'm going to get myself out there. I'm going to build. I'm going to grow. I'm going to see where it takes me. I'm going to be constantly aware that I have to hustle for everything myself. And, and, and I'm just going to try to get to the top, whatever the hell that is. And I kept redefining it, but right now this is pretty good. 
Yeah. No, I love so, that. So question for you, what type of resources did you use? Did you use like social media, LinkedIn, Spokio.com? What type of uh, trade craft can you give people that, that, are, that are hungry, that, that want to go and, and go find opportunities? Where do they start? Well, I mean, the, that part of the story that I just told you was previous to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I graduated college in 2002 and I quit that first job in 2003. So I don't know if LinkedIn existed, but if it did at that time, I certainly wasn't using it. (laughs) And instead what I did was I focused on connecting with individuals, Hmm. timeless, timeless task, right? You can do that on LinkedIn. And I suggest that you do. I mean, I'm very active on LinkedIn now, but Email worked pretty well back then, and getting in front of people at, a, at networking events worked pretty well. I mean, networking events are, like, awful and soul-sucking, but, <laughs> but sometimes you can build – you can start to build a community, and then that community can start to get you in front of other people, and it just works out. The more that you are building individual relationships and real relationships – I can't stress that enough – not just transactional relationships, not just, hey, give me something – not looking for handouts, not going to people and saying, what opportunities do you have? But actually connecting with people, showing that there's mutual value. Even if, you know what, even if you are like a big shot editor at the Washington Post, I have something for you and you have something for me, right? I have something for you. What could that be at that point in my career? I'm 22 years old. I got basically nothing to show for myself. What can I give to the editor of the health section of the Washington Post, who is the first person that I wrote for over there? I'll tell you what it is. It was hustle. It was constant ideas. It was constant enthusiasm. It was deadline-oriented work, and it was being extremely easy to work with. Because you know what? Every editor needs those things from people, needs them. Mm -hmm. And so the more that I could just show people that I am an absolute dream to work with and I will make it so easy for you, I'm full of ideas, I'll execute anything, I'll do a million rewrites, I don't care what it takes, that's that's me offering value. That's me being an opportunity for somebody because I know what they want, I understand it, I've never asked them for anything. What I have asked them is just to pay attention to the great things that I'm delivering and they're gonna wanna do that because I'm creating a great feedback loop. So yeah, today you could use social media and you should. You should be reaching out to people directly on LinkedIn and Instagram and wherever and you should be thinking about that in terms of real relationships. But there's no tool out there that's going to do it for you there's no shortcut here this is all about understanding what people are looking for and then being the absolute best version of that that you can deliver you telling us what i like that you said la real quick what 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 i like that you just said is something so simple but powerful being easy to work with because there's so many people in so many different verticals jason that are divas or difficult or they're arrogant or they demand they think that they they're entitled especially some of the younger you know generation unfortunately so um i i think that is absolute music to my ears la what do you think about that just being able to you just talked about this the other day in one of our other interviews um you know i think with george caceres you're talking about recording artists it's the same thing is that sometimes these uh these artists when they get with a a producer or record label they're not easy to work with and and unfortunately 
unfortunately, that kind of gets around. L.A.? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, something else you said that was really music to my ears was basically being useful to people. Uh, we mm. actually interviewed the CEO of a company called AutoWeb. And uh, J.R. Rowe, he talks about his on his travels to the top, he just wanted to focus on being useful to someone else, right? And that's my whole thing. Like, you're, I'm useful to you, so you're going to want to have me around. Um, but what I'm thinking, what I'm wondering, because, see, Jason, you can feel, I mean, from the a moment you open your mouth, right, you can tell that you are full of excitement, full of energy. I mean, you're not... You know, that's not you. You know what I'm saying? You're far <laughs> from that. You, you talk about your loud, you fun, you're going, you're going, you know, you're going, you're going to MC the crowd. You're going to move the crowd, right? That's so, right. so, so the thing is, though, where do you get the confidence or the, because there's a lot of people that's going to be like, you know, stay at that newspaper, that little, who do you think you are? Why do you think you're going to go to the, the New York or the, why would they want you around? All of that type. So, where do you get that kind? What's the audacity of you? Who do you think you are? Like that <laughs> that's a good question. It's a good question. And, and and I I just but also I just want to second everything that you guys said about about picking up those things. I mean particularly, Sean, that idea of being easy to work with. Mm-hmm. I have just because you become successful does not mean you get to be difficult to work with. I, in fact, like I cannot stand when people think that once they reach some certain level of success, suddenly they can they can just like stop being responsible. No. You know what? I have I mean I have had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing and in some cases even working with some of the literal top people in the world. I I, I top people in the world sounds like a stupid phrase, but like, you know, the most famous, right, the right. most successful, the most recognizable. And 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 like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and his business partner Danny Garcia. I mean like, I spent some time with them. I, I and I they just couldn't be nicer. Couldn't be nicer people. Mm-hmm. Danny Garcia, the the first thing that I mean this woman is is building billion dollar uh, empires and the very first thing she says to me when she walks up um, to, to introduce herself is um, she says, I was just reading your book. She was just reading my book, right? <laughs> she picked up my book to flip through or whatever she did so that she would have a better sense of me and have something to talk about. And she didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. She's working with the rock all day. Like, you know, that is so <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I have just, I over and over, we just put Ryan Reynolds on the cover and that guy just couldn't be nicer. I mean, we had a wonderful conversation. He said that after at the end, he says, he says, if you if you have any uh, any additional questions, I'm weirdly available. He said, Ryan Reynolds is weirdly available. Right. If you are less successful than Ryan Reynolds and you don't consider yourself weirdly available, then you are doing something wrong. I'm telling you. And so anyway, I just couldn't echo that more. Um, you know, where do I get the confidence? I built it. I built. I didn't have it at all at first. Uh, I, I didn't come. I didn't. I didn't come out swinging like this. I didn't sound like this. What I did was that I. I. I grew into it, mm. and I constantly thought about and pushed myself to understand what do people want from me, and how can I step up to deliver that. Mm. And if I don't know the answer, and I frequently didn't know the answer, then I would. I would try to be as analytical as possible about it, and I would be willing to risk putting some things out into the world that might feel a little uncomfortable, but that I'm going to learn a lot from. Here's a tip. Here's a tip. If you are unsure of what the world wants from you, start listening to the questions that people ask you. Because the questions that people ask you are actually them telling you what they think your value is to them. 
And the more you understand what your value is to other people, the more that you can deliver upon it. Uh, you know, at the very beginning of our conversation, I said, how are we, how, I said, how do I, uh, 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 you made some crazy noise. I don't know if people heard that, but it threw me off. Uh, you, um, I said, I said, yeah, it wasn't, oh, I, oh, we're doing radio. We're doing radio noises. I yeah. like it. I like it. Um, I was like, I was like, did something fall over there? I didn't know what happened. Um, so, I, uh, you know, I said it, I said earlier that I had been asked a lot, what are the qualities of a successful entrepreneur? And I came to an answer, but I'll tell you, there was a level deeper to that, which was the more that people are asking me that, the more that I realized what my foundational value is to somebody. It's not mm -hmm. just being able to ask, answer that question. That's just one question. What mm -hmm. it is, is that they were telling me you're a pattern matcher. You are the person who talks to lots of people. You match the patterns. You can tell me what everybody is seeing and thinking in a way that's going to be most useful to me. And once I understood that, now I knew how to deliver upon it. It's all about listening to the questions. So the question for you then is, sure. that, do you think that that um, is the preeminent skill for an entrepreneur or for success is being able to provide value versus being a subject matter expert or something. Meaning specifically, if I was good at, um, I don't know, some type of skill, whether it's closing or training or whatever it is, and I'm, I'm trying to be a consultant or trainer, do, do you think that being a successful trainer, successful entrepreneur in that vertical, it's more about how you can engage with people and provide value more than being that subject matter expert in that, in that particular category? Well, I mean, if you're a subject matter expert and you're not providing value, then I, I don't know, I don't know what purpose but being I, an expert I, is. Boom. Uh, but <laughs> I, I mean, because there's certain people that are paying the ass to work with. There might be yeah. people that could teach you something or provide um, that service, but they're not you know, it, it's not easy to work with them or they don't feel really good by working with them. Yeah, they got the job done. So I guess mm. maybe if I clean that up a little bit saying, is it more, I guess, being easy to work with and being a pleasure? Is it the relationship that's that's just as important or more important or is it the skill that's more important? Uh, well, look, I, I think it's an interesting question. I think yes. that let's come at it. Let's come at it like this. If you're not solving someone else's problem, then you're wasting people's time. And so how are you going to solve their problem? Now, you could solve my problem and be a pain in the ass, or you could solve my problem and be wonderful to work with, I suppose. But I'm going to consider that my problem isn't just whatever immediate thing that I need done, but also it's how do I solve these problems in a way that makes my life happy and fulfilling. And I don't want to work with crappy people. And so... I think that solving my problem is about twofold. It's one about solving whatever thing that I need, right? If I'm if I need a if I need to grow my business and I'm working with a growth consultant, you're solving a problem, but it's also not just about individual problems because we have to think of ourselves and our lives very holistically. And so the more that you can come in and not just solve the thing that you were asked to do, but also just be a good person and fit into my world, now you're really, really helping me. Now you're really solving problems. Yeah. So I will always default to the people who I feel like aren't just good at what they do, but are also good to work with. 
And I think that most people do that too. No, I totally agree with you, Jason, on that. Because, I mean, that's how it is. You want to work with someone who is going to be good to you, who's going to fit. It's like, it's got to be a hand in glove type of fit. So what we're going to do is we'll be right back with more from Mr. Jason Pfeiffer. Against all eyes. Is on your radio. Do you have scars, stretch marks, cuts, burns? Did you just have surgery or you're about to have surgery? Well, Scarfood is a series of products and creams designed specifically to nourish and repair scars. Scarfood has helped tens of thousands of patients worldwide repair and heal their scars. Follow Scarfood LLC on Instagram or go to scarfood.com and send us a product advice form along with photos and let our scar experts tell you exactly what you need to feed and heal those scars. From nothing to everything. Damn, Jason, you are killing it, man. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. But listen, working, um, especially as the editor-in-chief of, of a, a magazine at the level of Entrepreneur Magazine, you have access to, like you said before, some of the uh, top entrepreneurs, business executives in the world. I'm just curious, what are some of the lessons you've learned, you know, with your interviews that you've conducted with some of these people, whether it's The Rock or it's it's somebody else? I would just love to be able to just get a quick synopsis of the amazing things that you've learned as the editor-in-chief. Oh, yeah. So everybody who I've talked to has said something that really stuck with me. And it's not all the same thing, but what it is, I think, largely speaking, if you were to zoom out, is that extremely successful people still had to navigate a lot and that what they have that not everybody else does, but plenty of people do is the tolerance to do things wrong on the path to doing them right. Mm. Ryan Reynolds said to me, and he said to be good. I can't remember exactly the words, but it was something like, if you want to be good at something, you will have to be willing to be bad. Be bad first. And, Ryan, what is he talking about? Well, most people know him as an actor, but he has built a really successful advertising agency, and he is writing and producing a lot of those ad spots himself. And he also has a, you know, he did Aviation Tequila, Aviation Gin, and um, and uh, Mint Mobile. He's a he's a uh, owner of, and so he's been getting into business and advertising coming out of acting. And he didn't know what he was doing. And he's very open about not knowing what he was doing. But he understands that the only way to get good at it is to uh, start by being bad at it. And that's a, ver a version of that is something that I've heard so many people, you know, when I, I mentioned also in the previous segment, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia, you know, they, the thing that they said to me that I really loved was they said, um, um, we don't care about process. We only care about outcome which is to say that they're going to try different things over and over again. Something's going to work. Something's not going to work. Something's going to work. And then it's going to stop working. <laughs> Doesn't matter. What they need is a vision and they need the will to continue to execute that vision. And I just, I can't tell you how powerful it is to speak to exceptionally successful people. And that's not all I speak to, by the way, I, I, sh I should stress. I spend most of my time not talking to A-list people. I talk, I spend most of my time talking to entrepreneurs whose names you've never heard of, who are, who are exceptional in their own right. But you know, the celebrities right. become fun things to talk about. And what I hear so often are people who 
have struggled exactly the way that other people have, who aren't entirely sure of what the path ahead of them is, and yet have committed themselves to getting through whatever walls there are because they understand that there's something on the other side of that wall and it is worth smashing into. Mm, that's that really is good. So powerful right there. Again, it's got to be a, a, amazing being able to, I, like, I love knowledge. I love information. I love be, being able to soak up, um, you know, different strategies. Now, you mentioned in the previous segment about being able to identify patterns. So that's going to be like my next question is seeing a, a trend of entrepreneurs. Can you share some of the most common mistakes that like, fledgling entrepreneurs you know, almost always fall into? Yeah, to- well, there, I mean, there are a number of them. Um, one, one is that they hang on to their original idea too long, right? Instead of thinking of their original idea as a starting point, which is which is ultimately what you have to do. You know, Reed Hoffman, I quoted him once, but I'll quote him again. He has this great line, which is, "If you aren't embarrassed by your first product launch, then you launched too late." The idea being you got to just get something out there and it's not going to be good. I mean, similar to what Ryan said about if you want to be good at something, you have to be willing to be bad. It's not going to be good at first, but some people, they are very precious and they'll put something out and they will hold on to that idea and they will turn down all sorts of insights and opportunities to redefine. Uh, Another mistake that I think people make is sometimes they don't understand who they've built something for. Who is their audience? Who is their customer? I, I, and, and there are so many wonderful stories of companies that had to figure that out along the way and made some kind of radical re-understanding of who they are for and what their product is for. And that requires shifting everything from their marketing to their customer base to the product that they make. But the more that they can understand that, the better they can get. And then the third thing I think is, is that people... Uh, they they have the wrong relationship with growth. Mm. They sometimes will try to grow too fast. They sometimes will make decisions that's, that, that seem like it will help in the short term but might hurt in the long term. You know, you, you, you partner with the wrong person. You take the wrong investment money. You confuse a pop in sales because of an article that somebody wrote with sustainable growth. <laughs> right. You have to you have to think really strategically about what your next steps are and what you are actually able to manage. And if you don't have the right relationship with growth, you are going to either create too much for yourself, which then will collapse upon you, or you'll stagnate, or you'll just be stuck with the wrong relationships at the wrong time. And it's sometimes unsolvable. That is crazy. Having a wrong relationship with growth. Like that's phenomenal stuff. Cause I mean, you talked about it. I heard you say, you know, the whole comment about, you know, where, you know, growth is one of those things where it it won't exist. If you stay in that comfort zone, comfort zones are really, they're really nice and, and, you know, beautiful and everything, but growth can exist there. And so, so many people want to do stuff, but the one, the number one that hit me like right there is when you talked about, you know, the whole launch thing, the whole product launch, but if you heard the first couple episodes of this show or even some of the ones, that never aired it's like oh my gosh i'm like it's somebody yeah you know what i'm saying so yeah but you gotta just put stuff out there and you gotta be ready to rock and roll and before we did the radio show we did the podcast um because we have a podcast i know you got a couple of podcasts too but i mean mm-hmm. i'm telling you that's like it's crazy but i definitely want to hear a, a little bit about those sean did you have a specific question 
Yeah, another question I want to add a statement on this is that we've been partners with Grant Cardone for a couple years. I've known Grant for about 15 years uh, in the automotive industry, and he says the same exact thing, Jason. It's that, um, you know, it's the New York Times uh, best-selling author, mm. not the New York Times best-written author. That's it. A lot of times there's there's people that have an opportunity that wait too long trying to make it, pre you know, perfect. You know, they're trying to get every little detail to it instead of, you know, going to market with the first viable product or the first viable service and I think that that's what I notice with my clients when I'm doing consulting is that to your point just execute just launch it it's not going to be perfect you can you can perfect it uh, you can evolve it after launch but I think sometimes there's failure to launch if that makes sense mm -hmm. craziness without question yeah, big time. So yeah, so tell it because you 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 got a couple podcasts and I love the title. You got one. Uh, you talked about solving problems, right? If you're not doing that, you're wasting people's time. But then you got one. Uh, what is it? Pessimi pes pessimistic. Oh, uh, well, not anymore. Not anymore. We changed the name. It's called oh, okay, Build good. for Tomorrow now. Yeah. <laughs> What's the new name? Well, tell them. I want to hear about that old title because that was a cool title. Pessimist Archive. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you know, this is uh, there's actually a great business lesson in the in the changing of the title. Okay. So the show. Started out, so the show started out as build. Or, I'm sorry, the show started out as Pessimists Archive. Mm -hmm. It is now called Build for Tomorrow. Now okay. let me take you from one to the other. All right. So Pessimists Archive started out as a Twitter feed, and then I partnered with the guy who created the Twitter feed and made this podcast. And the podcast started by exploring why people resisted or were feared. Things that today we think of as commonplace. So, for example, why was there a national moral crisis about the teddy bear in 1907? For real, like schools wow. were banning teddy bears. Priests were preaching against teddy bears. Oh, it was crazy. People hated the teddy bear, very afraid of it. Why was the car called the devil wagon? Why did people think bicycles would make them insane? Why did governments try to ban coffee for 500 years? These are real questions, real issues. Marijuana. And so I wanted to under we wanted to understand that. Pessimist Archive, the name came, an archive of pessimists. But over time, first of all, my interest started to grow. I stopped being just interested in why people were resistant to these new things and started to try to want to understand how change happens and why why we have a narrative that is often anti-change or anti-progress, despite experiencing so much progress. Here's here's a here's a funny example. Uh you have surely heard that participation trophies are a cause of some kind of defect with a younger generation, mm -hmm. right? And all these kids were given participation trophies. Right. They, they, were in, they, were, they were all in soccer, and maybe they weren't great players, and their team didn't win anything, but they got a trophy anyway. And it taught these kids to never try hard, and that winning and losing is exactly the same thing. That, that's the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the problem with that narrative. The problem starts with these kids because we talk about participation trophies as if it is something that is new to and has thus harmed specifically the current young generation, Gen Z and also, let's say, millennials, because mm -hmm. they grew up with it, too. Right, right. But if you look at the history of participation trophies and nobody does, but I did. I spent a long time doing it. You find 
that participation trophies have been around for a hundred years, which is to say that everyone who's like, oh, these participation, tro- <laughs> you got a participation trophy mm-hmm. too. You did. You don't remember it because it wasn't a big deal, but you did because they've literally been around since the 1920s. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we have the wrong narrative about change and about progress and that we try to create this monocausal thinking where we simplify everything down to a ridiculous degree and we can't understand and recognize that something just because it looks different doesn't mean that it necessarily is different or that it's worse. So yeah, do kids today respond to different incentives than a generation or two before? Yeah, they do. Does that mean that they're lazier? No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they're lazier. It just means that it's different and different is not inherently worse. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that I got really interested in with Built for And so I, I hired a consultancy named Pen Name Consulting. And I wanted them to understand my audience so that I could reach them better. And they came back to me with two, well, a lot of fascinating insights, but two that were really, really, really critical. Number one, the name was a problem. It was a turnoff. It made people think it was a pessimistic show. And if they got over that and started listening and realized that it wasn't a pessimistic show, they had trouble convincing friends to listen to it. So the name was a problem. Number two, I learned that people aren't listening to the show because they're interested in history. They were telling me that they are listening to the show because it helps them feel more resilient about the future. And so when I heard those two things, I thought, I've got myself a problem. I've built this brand, and the name doesn't connect with people. It's actually a barrier to entry, and the product doesn't exactly understand the marketplace. And so I need to make a kind of change. And so the very first change that I made was we're going with a new name. I don't care that this show has been out for four years. And if you're listening to this and and you're thinking that this doesn't apply to you because you don't have a podcast, doesn't matter. It applies to you too. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, just because you have something out there in the world doesn't mean it has to stay fixed forever. You can make the change and you probably should. And you probably should have done it yesterday instead of tomorrow. And so for me, I said, let's get rid of this name, Pessimist Archive. It's fun. It's quirky, but it is a turnoff and it's not addressing the thing that people are looking for, which is to feel resilient about the future. So now you can see where I got the name Build for Tomorrow from. Yeah. And now I do these, I do the same, it's same vibe. It's oftentimes the same approach, but I am always thinking, how can I connect everything that I'm doing to the kinds of things that people are seeing and struggling with today so that I can help them feel resilient about the future. See, I must just be weird and quirky because it is instantly connected with me. I say, y'all got to check this out. Like, <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> I appreciate Well, I appreciate you. Yo, I, I love it. I, I do want to digress. I want to redirect for a second here because sure. uh, we're talking about the participation trophies. I think it's a hysterical conversation because you're right. Uh, people have these these crazy notions of, of why things are. Here's what one of my crazy notions is I yeah. believe that a lot of the problems that we have with credit card debt, um, you know, unemployment, and a lot of other issues that this country has is because there's a lack of financial education. There's a lot of people throughout school and, I mean, even like collegiate level that are really not trained, you know, fiscally to be responsible. So my question, you know, to the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, I have kids, I have a seven-year-old, I have a 13-year-old, and I have two adult girls, one's 20 and one's 22. Um, what advice do you have for parents that want to educate their kids the right way about money, about entrepreneurship, and, uh, and things like that? How do, you, how do you suggest that parents really have that conversation? And at what age do you think they should start having that conversation about fiscal responsibility and, and entrepreneurship and things like that for their kids? It's a great question. The answer is as early as possible. 
And the most important thing that you can do is talk about it. You don't have to start giving lectures about fiscal responsibility to your five-year-old, but what you should be doing is having conversations about money, making sure that kids understand money, understand where it comes from, understand the decisions that have to be made, and that the older they get, the more transparent you are with them about your own finances and your own financial situation and your own financial thinking. And the same is true for entrepreneurship. Bring them in. You know, my friend, I, uh, you know, one of my closest friends is Nicole Lappin, who is a best-selling um, uh, you personal finance author, uh, Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch are two of her books. She was an anchor on CNBC. She has a daily podcast now called Hush, uh, called, we did a show called Hush Money. It's called um, Mon- uh, 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 Money Rehab. Right. And uh, anyway, what she likes to say is that money is the last taboo in America. Right. We can talk. We'll talk about sex now. We'll talk about violence. We'll talk about anything. We won't talk about money. And and I, I as much as I've heard Nicole say that, I find that to be true for myself, too. I, I, I should be telling all of my friends how much I make. I should be telling them all of that. And we should be having constant conversations about money so that we can understand what's available, what are good decisions look like, what do bad decisions look like. And we are not doing that. So we are, to the degree that we're thinking about it, we're saying somebody else should teach our kids about money. Schools should be teaching our kids about money. Yeah, well, financial literacy should be a part of education, I agree, but it has to start at home and it has to start with your own conversations. I think that the more that you raise people to be thinking and talking about this stuff in a realistic way, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed, whatever your financial situation is, don't be afraid or ashamed of it. Talk about it because it is real and it is relatable and it is the kind of information and insights that your kid needs to hear. Yeah. Any any I relation to Daniel uh Daniel Lappin, Rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin? Uh Nicole? Yeah. I wonder if... Uh no, well it's Lappin, L A P. Oh, okay, okay. That's <laughs> something different. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah. Take us. Yeah, I was going to say uh Jason, one of the things that that we did with our our girls and our boys is way back, uh you know, getting them exposed to Robert Kiyosaki's uh Rich Kid Poor Kid, which is like the kid version mm-hmm. of Rich Dad Poor Dad. He's got a a game, a board game called Cash Flow. And, um, you know, trying to get them acclimated and our little ones want to be uh, famous like YouTubers and gamers. So we try to be able to explain the different business models and we showed them Ryan's from Ryan's Toys. By any chance, you ever interview that kid? No, I don't know that he does interviews. They're very, very press shy. Wow. Oh, are they? That's, that's an amazing. I like to talk about it when we come back from the break. Absolutely. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, more with Jason Pfeiffer on Against All Us. Be right back. Did you know that car.com is a website to connect consumers like you, me, our parents, basically everybody to local car dealers? Car.com helps us find that perfect vehicle. From new vehicles to certified pre-owned, Car.com will help you find the best vehicle match. Car.com practically started the online car shopping experience. Peace of mind and finding your perfect vehicle, it's what they do. Car.com. We do the research, you do the driving. Get started getting that peace of mind today at Car.com. Do you have scars, stretch marks, cuts, burns? Did you just have surgery or you're about to have surgery? 
Well, Scarfood is a series of products and creams designed specifically to nourish and repair scars. Scarfood has helped tens of thousands of patients worldwide repair and heal their scars. Follow Scarfood LLC on Instagram or go to scarfood.com and send us a product advice form along with photos and let our scar experts tell you exactly what you need to feed and heal those scars. Hey, first of all, let me thank everyone for tuning into our radio show every weekend. But if you're looking for more interactivity, make sure you download Clubhouse and follow Sean V. Bradley and the Blind Master. We're on every single weekday morning at 7 a.m. From nothing to everything. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Against All Odds radio show. And, man, Jason, you are absolutely killing it. Um, Sean, you asked a question about yeah, Ryan's yeah, absolutely. toys. Right? We were just talking right before break about Ryan's toys. This kid, Jason, um, I think he made $11 million at six years old, $22 million at seven, uh, $26 million uh, at eight. And I think he's up to, like, another almost $29 million resigned. So he, he's made almost $91 million in four years as a nine-year-old so what i want to just just say to america right now is pay attention if a nine-year-old kid can make almost a hundred million dollars reviewing toys on youtube there is a tremendous opportunity for you to be able to to find a niche or find an opportunity and so jason let's talk about that how much opportunity is there in in 2021 going to 2022 for entrepreneurs is this a good time to be an entrepreneur Oh, yeah. Well, certainly. Look, one thing that I want to add to that Ryan thing, and I don't know that much about Ryan or his family. Um, I see his face every time I go to Target. So I know that. (laughs) But is let's let's not let let's let's not set the bar in an unrealistic way. Right. A nine year old made that much money. Yeah, that's true. A nine year old didn't make those videos all by himself, though. He's got he's got presumably very, very smart, savvy, strategic parents. I don't know their background. I'm going to guess it has to be in marketing or SEO or something. Uh, But there's a there's a team around. So so also. I don't know where he came from and I don't know how long he or his parents probably were trying other things. And then this is the one that hit every time that you see something successful, what you missed were a lot of experiments and a lot of failure along the way. Mm -hmm. And also lots of other people who tried the same thing and it didn't work. So that's not to be discouraging, but that's to be realistic. Right. So what do I think is the massive opportunity right now? What I think it is, is that, There are shifting needs. There are new needs for consumers. There are new needs for other businesses. And people don't even know what they all are because we are just coming out of an extremely uh, tumultuous year where 10 years of change happened in in the first 10 months. And that to me is massive opportunity if you choose to see it that way because – just because something changed doesn't mean that needs go away. In fact, mm-hmm. needs just become different. And we have more tools now than ever before to grow and and build businesses. Right? We have, I mean, everything from just think about how much, just think about the number of problems that Shopify solves, that people mm. before Shopify had to figure out on their own. There are There are infinite tools around you so that you can just focus on building the product, and connecting with your community and off 
pushing off almost every other damn boring thing until, of course, you grow to the point where you're going to want to do those things yourself and do them better than, you know, some uh, off the shelf uh, service. But uh, the number one, the number one thing I think you need to be thinking about right now. During the pandemic, middle of the pandemic, applications for new businesses reached a 10 year high. People went out. They started to recognize what opportunity looked like. And it looked like people need things. I have solutions. I know how to do things. I can put myself out there and start to build something for myself. I don't have to rely on other people. I don't have to just be somebody's employee. I can build. I can grow. It's no better That's time. It. 100%. So I, I love what you're saying, man, but it's, it's crazy because so many people are starting to do stuff and everything. And then when they get hit with stuff, you know, they don't know how to pivot like you talked about. So I want to kind of get your, your take on this, because one of the things I'm having a challenge with right now, and I'm gonna put it out there, Peloton, right, they had that situation happen, and it was unfortunate, right. And then they made all these changes and everything. And now somebody like me, who's a customer, and totally blind, I can't even use the product because they're making you put in a passcode and everything like that. But there's no accessibility. So what is your take on like just accessibility and being an entrepreneur and uh, just inclusion, you know, for pretty much everybody? Or can you, you, know, you know, make changes without consulting or finding a way to make sure your entire audience is included? Well, I think there are two ways to look at that. Way number one is it's a conversation that's happening more and more. And that's really valuable. I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing people talk about it more. I'm seeing people think about it more. And that's great. Mm -hmm. They are a lot of, as you well know, and you just articulated one example, a lot of shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And that's where my next point is going to come in, which is that's white space. Mm -hmm. There are problems to be solved. There are people in need of your solutions. And, and I think there's no better way for somebody to start than to look around and say, who is not being served? And how can I understand them better than others? How can I be their champion? How can I build solutions for them? And there, there's, there, this, is, this is true in, in accessibility, and it's true in, in every other way, that there are, there are holes. There are holes to fill. And you could, you could if you are in that boat, if you are, if you are feeling um, and, and experiencing, uh, uh, you know, s severe accessibility problems, that mm -hmm. either one thing you could do, I, I mean, look, I'm not directing this to you, but directing to anybody in the audience, <laughs> right, right. Is, um, is you could say, how can I be the solution? Because if there are, if I'm being left out, lots of people are being left out. Mm -hmm. And that means that there is a huge community that I can lead and I can serve and I can make things better. This is when we were talking earlier about if you're not solving problems, you're not doing anything. You can solve those problems. And, uh, and, and, and there's no better time to do it than now. Yeah. People are in need. Yeah. No, I feel you, know, you on that. You know what's crazy for me is that I always say this, that the best ideas are in the graveyard, meaning that there's so many people that have value, have like expertise, they have something to give this country, this world, but they're too afraid to pull the trigger. So um, do you have any advice for the people who listen to the show against all odds, you know, and they don't think that, that they're worthy enough to be an entrepreneur or, you know, they're a woman or they're a minority or like me, um, I'm, a, I'm a, an ex-convict, ex-gang member from the streets. You know, too many people out there, unfortunately, don't think that they deserve to be a business owner or a success. What do you say to those people? I say everyone else felt the same. I mean, look, not, not everybody 
not everybody has your story. Not everybody has anybody's story. I mean, you know, what you, what, what both of you are, you know, are, are laying down here in, in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, either, either accessibility or your background or whatever mm-hmm. the case mm-hmm. is, right. These are, these are your own, these are your own things that you could see as a limitation or you could see as an opportunity. And I, I get the sense for both of you that you see it as an opportunity. You know it. Uh, and, um, and everybody's got some version of that. They all do. I mean, everybody. I have been consistently shocked, and I shouldn't be at this point because it's happened so often, but consistently shocked to speak to extremely successful people who will tell me about the time at the very beginning when they did not feel like they belonged at all. And they did it for whatever reason. They did it, right? And they did it. Sometimes they did it and never really got over that that fear of impact. I mean, I have had – I've had – conversations with people running billion dollar companies who feel like total imposters can you share share one of those uh experiences like one of those people that you spoke to uh that that kind of shocked you yeah uh i talked to uh, i'm blanking on his name now (laughs) he's a he's one of the best known chefs in america momofuku was one of his companies um i'm gonna google that so that i can i can actually say his name momofuku um somebody somebody right now is listening to this and they're like his name is david chang (laughs) idiot name is david chang um so anyway his name is david chang um i had this conversation with david chang and that guy honestly spent like the majority of the time we were supposed to talk for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and um and, and again i just want to stress one of the most successful chefs in america right he's got a he's got a show on i think it's i think it's netflix um he's he's built some amazing restaurants uh uh he he's just you know he's got a he's got the books he's got the everything i mean it's just like he's a celebrity in the in the in the world in the culinary world uh and um we were supposed to talk for half an hour we talked for an hour and the reason why was because it turned into a therapy session. I mean, a therapy session where like, I'm giving him therapy. I'm not a therapist. I, don't, I shouldn't be giving anybody therapy. But he just, he was just so open about how much of a failure he often feels like. And about how he has no idea if he will ever be able to repeat anything that he has achieved. And how he doesn't know that any of this is ever good. I mean, I, I, I was blown away by how open and honest he was about that stuff. And I kept trying to respect his time and be like, well, David, look, I, you know, I really appreciate it. I don't want to take any more of your time. And he's like, no, 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 we keep going. Well, let's, let's keep talking. And then he available. just keep telling me about how <laughs> crappy he feels. And, um, and, and, and I have heard, I've just had so many experiences like that. Once you open the door of trust, once people get, get a feeling that you're not there to exploit them, you're not there to make fun of them. That you get them, or at least you know as as well as you can after just meeting somebody, man, they start telling you some stuff, and uh, and and they start telling you about how they don't entirely still trust their own abilities, and they don't entirely still f- feel like they have earned or really belong where they are. I mean, I had I had I had lunch once with the president or the CEO of IAC, which is uh, one of the largest internet companies in the country. It owns like every brand you've ever heard of, Match, OkCupid, <laughs> um, and um, and we were, you know, we were talking about how neither of us had any idea how to be a leader. 
uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, you know, at first, right? Like we've, we've learned along the way, but at the beginning, no idea. Right. Didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, and this is just it. This is just the way it is. So, so what can I tell you? I can tell you, take a look around, take a look at the most successful people. Know that behind closed doors. Go back to that because that's big. Because yeah. I, I see in Clubhouse, there's rooms specifically about imposter syndrome and this yeah, yeah, yeah. subject. What would you say is the advice if people are feeling that? Is it just just bite it? You know, just bite down on it and just do it anyway. What's the advice to have to somebody that has imposter syndrome or they feel uh, like like David Chang did? How, how, what do you advise them to, to get through it? Okay. Well, first of all, you have to know that everyone else feels it. Right. I mean, this is this is the reason why I'm telling you the story about David Chang and everything like you have to know that this is this is about as universal as an experience as it gets, which is funny because it wasn't original. Do you know that like imposter syndrome? Oh, I could have the date wrong, but I think that it was it was invented as a term in like 1978, 1979. It was originally believed to only be experienced by what were called, quote unquote, high achieving women. And it took a very long time for people to recognize and acknowledge that this is something that is felt by everybody. People just keep treating this as if it is something for a select group of people. And that's not the case. So what do you need to do? The first thing is to understand that you are in great company. There is no solution to this outside of owning it, outside of saying, yeah, I feel this way. I know other people do too. I'm going to do this anyway. There are, look, Talk to people, connect with people, build a community. The more that you are a part of a group of people who are sharing this experience, the more that you can get through it together. Oh, my gosh. This is awesome stuff. So we get ready to wrap up here, but I definitely need you to, to because, I mean, the bombs that you've been dropping, the nuggets that you've been saying, right, um, are, I'm sure you're getting a lot of this stuff, you know, from working with the phenomenal people and everything. How do we, how, how do we get access? How do we get more Jason Pfeiffer? I appreciate that. Well, I mentioned my podcast, Build for Tomorrow. I'd love for you to follow that. Also, if you go to my website, jasonpfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, what you'll see most prominent is this button that's called free training. It'll give you an hour-long free audio course that I made on how to feel more adaptable. Mm -hmm. And then it'll sign you up for my newsletter. You can be getting regular doses of me and be in touch. I respond to everybody. Thank you so much, Jason. This has been phenomenal. The show is called Kiss All Eyes. Jason Pfeiffer, Bizarre Y'all Radio. Talk to y'all next week. Hey, world, this is Sean V. Bradley. And if you need to buy a new or pre-owned car and want to have the best, most convenient experience ever, get full transparency, the absolute lowest price, no stress, best customer service, well, I highly recommend car.com. Do you have scars, stretch marks, cuts, burns? Did you just have surgery or you're about to have surgery? Well, Scarfood is a series of products and creams designed specifically to nourish and repair scars. Scarfood has helped tens of thousands of patients worldwide repair and heal their scars. Follow Scarfood LLC on Instagram or go to scarfood.com and send us a product advice form along with photos and let our scar experts tell you exactly what you need to feed and heal those scars. Did you know that car.com is a website to connect consumers like you, me, our parents, basically everybody to local car dealers? Car.com helps us find that perfect vehicle. From new vehicles to certified pre-owned, Car.com will help you find the best vehicle match. Car.com practically started the online car shopping experience. Peace of mind and finding your perfect vehicle, it's what they do. Car.com, we do the research, you do the driving. Get started getting that peace of mind today at Car.com. 
You're listening to WORK Radio. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. The Against All Odds Radio Show comes to you every week from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you have a question about the show or would like the chance to become a guest and share your success story, we would love to talk to you. You can reach us directly at 856-546-2440 or email us at againstalloddsradioshow at gmail.com. This program is a presentation of Synergy Records, streaming live coast to coast and downloadable everywhere podcasts are found. The Against All Odds Radio Show is produced by Sean V. Bradley, CSP. Production and engineering by L.A. Williams. The Against All Odds Radio Show is hosted every week by L.A. Williams and the millionaire car salesman himself, Mr. Sean V. Bradley, CSP. Plus, don't forget Sean's best-selling book, Win the Game of Googleopoly, is available right now on Amazon. Thanks for listening to the Against All Odds Radio Show. And remember, where I come from, money provides options. The Against All Odds Radio Show is sponsored in part by Scarfood, Car.com, and Dealer Synergy.